Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The FT. A bit too alternative. The regulator cracks down on non-mainstream investments. Absolutely not fabulous, the funds that fail to produce positive returns. And in a fix, why mortgage borrowers are paying the price for taking out short-term deals. All this to come on the FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent. I'll be giving you the financial lowdown in downloadable form with a studio full of my colleagues from FT Money. Joe Cumbo. Hello. Fresh from the, I'm not sure fresh is the right word, but fresh from the London Marathon, Elaine Moore. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hey. Let's start then with the money news. This week, the Financial Services Authority announced an interim ban on the promotion of traded life policy investments, otherwise known as death bonds, as part of a more restrictive approach to the sale of alternative investments. It said it was setting its sights on the market for unregulated collective investment schemes, which are often sold to wealthy investors as pension fund holdings. These can include schemes in Investing in overseas real estate, wine, wind farms, crops, classic cars and forestry. Sophisticated investors have been advised to buy into these asset classes on the basis that their returns are uncorrelated with the stock market. But the FSA now says that the products are being marketed to ordinary members of the public. And Joe, I think this is the, this is the root cause, isn't it? Order members of the public may not realise the risks involved. That's right. I mean, in 2010, the FSA looked into this market uh, and found that uses were still being marketed to ordinary investors when their rules set restrictions on the uh, promotion of these products and they should really be only being sold to sophisticated investors. But the problems continue. Uh, we are seeing from, we're hearing from SIP providers, providers of self-invested personal pensions, that they're often getting approached by investors saying, I've been sold this USIS, it's investing in an overseas hotel, etc. But the SIP provider is saying, we can't accept your investment because you're not, you know, you're not a suitable investor. If we do that, we're going to breach the guidance. And that is not just isolated cases, but it's happening quite frequently. Let's look then at what the FSA is actually doing. It's, it's announced two things, really, hasn't it? It's announced an interim ban on the promotion of these death bonds. Just, just for listeners who may not be familiar with them, how do they work? Death bonds are collective uh, pooled investments. And the way they work, they're underpinned by the income of life insurance policies, which the fund has bought from citizens, usually US citizens, and they're called death bonds because they pay out 
when the policyholder dies. It's something that's really grown and, and taken off in the US and the products are continuing to be marketed to UK retail investors, but problems have really started to crop up with the transparency, liquidity issues, and of course, because many of these funds are based overseas, the investor is not protected by the, the compensation schemes and they, they don't have recourse to go to the ombudsman when things go wrong and things have really been going wrong with, with investments falling apart and investors losing money. Yeah, and you've covered many uh, yes. of these schemes that have fallen apart and, uh, and, as you say, lost people money. So an interim ban on the promotion of, of these products. Um, and, but then we also have um, proposals uh, to also ban the promotion of these other unregulated schemes into these other esoteric or alternative yes. investments. The link between death bonds and, and all non-mainstream investments such as USIS is that death bonds are often structured as USIS. So this setting the sights generally on, on alternative investments is trying to restrict access or promotions to the mass retail market. Now, that these products can still be and, uh, promoted to institutional investors, but what they want to do with the final guidance, with the, with the rules which they will be drawing up, is effectively cut off or kill off the sale of these products to the retail market. But if, you know, for example, uh, I were to go to my SIP provider uh, and say, I am an experienced, sophisticated investor. And I, I very much like the idea of in, investing in a scheme that puts its money, puts my money into fine wines, for example. Um, not that I have money to put into fine wines, but if I did, would I be allowed to do so if I could certify that I was sufficiently sophisticated and willing to take the risk. There's a lot of discussion about who should be doing that due diligence, whether it should be the IFA or indeed the SIP provider. Good SIP providers will do diligence on the product. But yes, you've raised a point there that individuals can self-certify that they are high net or that they are sophisticated, which... It's a weakness in the way the rules are currently structured because it's allowing people to get over the barriers by themselves with, that, with little help. So perhaps that's an area that the FSA may crack down on or tighten its rules when it uh, produces them. And we're not looking to see anything come into effect until next year at the earliest. That's, that's, that's when they uh, will come out with their, uh, their guidance on these other areas. Just finally, um, I mean, how widespread... Is investment in these schemes at the moment? I, I, I know that there are certain wealthy investors who do hold uh, investments in these asset classes via SIPs, as you have mentioned. Is, is there any sort of well, feel for how it's many? It's very difficult to quantify because because of the nature of the unregulated market, they can't get. You know, the FSA says we can't really get a good handle on it, but they've put a figure of about one billion the current value of the traded um, life policy investments market just alone and the USIS market could be worth billions as well too. What I hear from SIP providers is that the number of approaches from investors is growing. So it seems to be the problem and the concern is is that it's a growing um, approach, a growing problem. So the FSA is trying to nip this in the bud if you are an unsophisticated investor. Joe. For now, thank you very much uh, indeed. And for more on the proposed ban and how this may affect your pension investment choice, make sure you read Joe's articles in the money section of this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, why are two-year fixed-rate mortgages the most commonly offered products when longer-term deals are available? First, though, absolute return funds. 
More of these funds, which aim to produce positive returns in all market conditions over a three-year period, are expected to be launched this year, according to a new report from the rating agency Fitch. They are already popular with UK private investors. The absolute return fund sector regularly appears in the top five for net sales to retail investors in the Investment Management Association's league tables. But some argue that they are something of a misnomer because some of the funds conspicuously fail to produce positive returns. In the past three years, for example, four funds have produced losses, some of as much as 19% down, while the FTSE 100 index has been rising by 37%. Elaine, why then is Fitch expecting more absolute return funds to be launched when their performance is so variable? I think that you've already mentioned the reason, and that's because investors like them and fund managers know that investors like them and they like taking the money from investors for these funds. Uh, Fitch is saying that they expect the number of funds in the sector to rise. The sector's already a lot bigger than it was a couple of years ago. It's a really, really new sector. So the IMA definition, this only came in in 2008. And it was very popular in the wake of the financial crisis when markets were going all over the place. And what investors wanted was just a return, some money back on their investments. And and it sounds to me very uh, attractive in theory. In practice, however, the returns have been all over the place. I mean, it's not the case that all funds have lost money. Some have made lots of money, but they haven't done what they say on the tin. No, and this is a a very big criticism of the sector. So the huge disparity between the funds that do well and the funds that do badly, the funds that you're mentioning over the last three years, you've had a difference between over 40% returns or 20% decline. In the last year, only eight of funds in the sector have given a positive real return. So that means a return above inflation. Now, of course, inflation was very high last year, so that could account for some of that. But actually, more than half of funds in the sector lost money in 2011. And that's not what you expect from a sector that just promises to give absolute. And all absolute means is more than zero. That's all they're promising to give you. But more than half the funds failed to do that. And I think this is the problem, isn't it? Because the the name of the sector and the, and the name of the funds holds out this, as you as you say, promise, although it's not a guarantee, <laughs> of some kind of positive return. Um, but if you don't do that, surely you shouldn't call yourself absolute return. It's questionable, isn't it? And of course, managers, they're not machines. You can't expect them to make money in any kind of circumstances. Of course, things happen and everybody understands that. Investors themselves understand that as well. But if you say that you're an absolute return fund and you're losing money year on year, and the sector's only been going for a few years in the first place, then it is very questionable whether you should be calling yourself an absolute return fund in the first place. The IMA has recognised that and they're currently conducting a review into the whole sector. We're expecting that to finish middle of this year. Things that some people say might happen is that the sector might be divided. So you might have different funds in different areas. You might um, have a distinction between the funds that are always um, going to short the market when the market falls or the funds that will keep going long even when the market falls. There's so many different ways that managers within this sector can run their funds. It's quite difficult for investors to know exactly what it is they're investing in. That's a very good point, I think. I mean, you mentioned that some funds... Um, will 
hold long positions in equities expecting to go up, but also short positions to make a profit when prices fall. But, I mean, there are some funds calling themselves absolute return that don't invest in equities at all. They invest in bonds. Absolutely. It's it's almost impossible to know what you're investing in. There's about 70 funds within the sector. Um, and some of the analysts that I've spoken to this week have said that it's almost unhelpful to use any kind of sector average. So for the last three years, the sector average is up 12%. But because it's so huge, such a huge variance between the the funds that do well and the funds that do badly, they're saying that there is almost no point in looking at this as one sector. There's a big problem with the idea of calling a fund an absolute return fund. You should have different names for different funds. And do any of the fund analysts and the financial advisors you've been speaking to think that in amongst this huge variation, there are a few sort of hidden gems that have done what they're supposed to do and are likely to continue to do what they're supposed to. Some of the financial advisors I've been speaking to steer clear of this sector altogether just because they say that clients don't necessarily understand what they're investing in and that's sort of number one point when you're investing is understand what you're putting your money into and what might happen to that money. Some have said that there are a few hidden gems but these tend to be multi-asset funds so it's just a way of diversifying your portfolio but some have said that they consider the entire sector just basically a marketing ploy. It's a way to get investor money. It looks like it's working as well as we have more of these uh, funds launching. Elaine, uh, for now, thank you very much for that. And for more on the performance of absolute return funds and those funds that have lived up to their name and the others that have not, look out for Elaine's analysis in the money section of this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, mortgages. New figures this week showed that two-year fixed-rate deals are the most common type of mortgage being offered by lenders, making up 30% of all of the mortgage products currently available in the market. But experts argue that two-year fixed-rate mortgages currently offer the least value for borrowers on the basis that interest rates are expected to stay at half a percent for the next few years, and lower rates are available through tracker rate deals. So you might think that more tracker rate mortgages are now being offered. You'd be wrong, though. The number of lifetime trackers has plummeted from 231 five years ago, to just 69 today, which means they make up only 2% of the overall mortgage market. Tanya, to me, this simply smacks of brokers and lenders trying to push two-year deals in order to earn regular fees. But am I being too cynical in thinking that? I don't think you're being um, too cynical in thinking that, to be honest. Um, In the past, um, brokers have often been accused of favouring short-term deals and um, churning them, as it's called, um, in order to get regular fees. It basically means that the borrowers will have to come back to remortgage, and again, they'll get an extra fee and commission. um, So they obviously benefit from from borrowers taking short-term fixes. But at the same time, brokers have also accused lenders of favouring short-term fixes because, again, they can also make money out of it. Um, It also gives an opportunity at the end of the two-year fix to maybe move the borrower onto a more expensive standard variable rate. Um, so they end up making much more money out of them than maybe if they went for a longer-term lifetime tracker or um, fixing for longer, for, for example, for five years. Now, I would have thought that you know, there would be a case for using a two-year fixed-rate mortgage if the rate was so much better than the rates available on, say, five-year fixes or indeed on 
lifetime tracker deals, but you've been looking at the rates this week and there's not a huge difference, is there? No, well, I mean, two-year fixes are more expensive than two-year trackers. So on the basis that we actually believe that, um, you know, the base rate will stay at 0.5% for at least the next two years, it doesn't seem much sense to buy a two-year fix because you're basically buying security for a period that you actually don't need it. Um, and then when you look at lifetime trackers, I mean, if we look at um, for borrowers who have 25% deposit or more, at the moment, you can get a lifetime tracker from Britannia Building Society at um, 2.79%. And when you compare that to um, the best two-year fix in the market, um, it's only actually 10 basis points more. So you're really not paying that much extra to get a longer-term deal. And say if base rates stay um, low for longer than expected, you're going to be a winner. You are. And uh, the, the, the thing that occurs to me is that uh, two-year fixes generally come with some of the heftiest fees out there, don't they? They do. I mean, they tend to come, we're, we're seeing fees these days around £2,000. I mean, I should put, make a, make the point that obviously a lot of the brokers and lenders say that they are seeing demand for two-year fixes from, from borrowers. And that tends to be because I think people don't like the idea of locking into a mortgage for too long. So they see two-year fixes as a kind of good mortgage to go for. They feel like it's giving them security and they're often attracted by you know, the so-called cheaper headline rate, even though, as we've discussed, that's not necessarily the case. Um, so a lot of the brokers and lenders argue that that's why they're um, why lenders are offering all these deals is because actually borrowers want them. But like we say, it's not the best value for most borrowers out there. No, and the other the other figure that really um, struck me was um, the shrinkage in the, the number of lifetime tracker uh, rate deals uh, that are available. I, you know, I would have thought that you know at a time when you know everyone knows that interest rates have been low, as you've just said, mm. and, the, and all the forecasts, you know, especially after this week's um, you know GDP figures, yep. we're, we're into double dip recession. No one is thinking that interest rates are going to be put up for mm-hmm. you know for a long, long time. Yep. There will be loads more of these lifetime tracker deals, and they just aren't. I know it's very strange, and. Um, it's- to be honest, I mean, there's, you know, lifetime trackers are, you know, they're a very good product because a lot of them also will offer, you know, the deal with no early repayment charges. So actually, you could take out a lifetime tracker and then move on to another deal at a later point if rates do start to rise. But it's very strange. I mean, I think I think lenders are basically saying that they're offering what, you know, what borrowers want, but actually... I don't think that's really the case. Yes, is it a case of lenders offering what borrowers want or borrowers not knowing what mm-hmm. they ought to have? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, well, we can debate that for <laughs> for a long time. But for now, Tanya, thank you uh, very much indeed. And for details of uh, the best lifetime tracker and five-year fixed-rate mortgages and how they compare with two-year fixed-rate deals, have a read of Tanya's article in the money section of your weekend FT. But that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you will find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, blog posts and top tips on the website, ft.com forward slash money. You can follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash FT Money. And if you'd like us to answer a question about any aspect of your finances, just email us. We have a new email address, even easier to remember than the old one. It is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Joe, Elaine and Tanya. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.